When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is episode one, two, three. Is it actually episode one, two, three? Yes. For some reason, That's I thought we had already done one, two, three like a long time ago. It, weird. It's like one, two, three is such a big number, obviously one hundred twenty-three, mm-hmm. but it also feels as though we've been here. Maybe it's deja vu, or maybe it's the it word is. revisiting in the title. So, title is revisiting old projects. Eh, there you go. Transitioning into uh, the title, which was literally the next thing on the line there. I'm Matt. That's Mike. And this week, we'll be discussing uh, what to do when working on uh, an older code, an older code base. And then in the web news, two phone life, spelled appropriately as F O N E for phone and L Y F E for life. Now that sounds interesting to you. And you want to support the show? You can go check us out on that Patreon. Leave a review or rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server. Or share this with your friends. And before I pass it off to Mike for a weekly pain point, I want to point out to everybody. That our before the show, pre-show, whatever you want to call it, it well, it's officially called the before. It's officially called before the show is available now on Patreon. The first few episodes are going to be available for free for everybody. You can just go there and do it. I don't even think you need a Patreon account, although don't quote me. I don't think you do, but don't quote me. It's just in the post. You can go there, download the MP3 file, listen to it. It's basically our tangents taken to an all new level. So we're not going to limit the topics of that to like business or web development or whatever. It's just going to be us chatting. So it might be web development based. It might be tech based. It might be totally something else. This week's is tech based. Uh, but just an FYI, uh, we believe that we're going to make them for Patreons or patrons or whatever they are, uh, subscribers, whatever, uh, only. And we'll, of course, make a, make an appropriate announcement and maybe there'll be a separate tier or maybe they'll be available for all tiers. We haven't made full decisions, so please give those a listen. If you like them, let us know your feedback so that we know what we want to do because nothing's set in stone. If everyone loves them but they want them to be free forever, I mean, then maybe that'll be the case. We don't know yet. Maybe it'll be on another feed. Who knows? Uh, but just an FYI, those are available now, so go check them out on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML. All the things. There'll be two episodes up at this time. One to two. This one might be a little later because uh, we're recording later. But anyway, Mike, please, sir, take it away with the Aura Weekly Pain Points. Okay. My weekly pain point this week is trapped inside. So it's only been a, a little while since I've decided to kind of like just kind of lock myself down with my wife um, a little bit more because before we were a little bit more, you know, willing to go out. We would go to the store multiple times a week. Uh, we would see some friends here and there and stuff like that. Like we were still pretty careful, but we at least allowed ourselves a little bit more uh, flexibility because the cases around us, the COVID cases around us were not too bad, right? Like we did, we, we weren't seeing the huge risk. We would wear a mask. We would do all the social distancing and that. At this point, cases are rising around us pretty heavily, pretty quickly, um, with the Christmas, you know, Christmas coming around the corner, people are out in scores Christmas shopping, so they don't care. Like most people don't care. They'll go Christmas shopping in a mall on a Saturday and like pack themselves in, wait in line for, for two hours just to get into a store. Um, so that's going on right now. And 
So we've just decided to kind of step a little bit back. We still go shopping. We're just trying to keep it to like once a week again, back in the old lockdown days. And uh, we're trying not to see as many people as we can. So I'm essentially, I'm trying to get to the vaccine without being infected. I don't want to get COVID. I I don't want to get other people COVID. I don't want to give other people COVID. I don't want to get, I don't want to be around it. I want to get the vaccine as soon as it comes out. I'm going to be, you know, frontline I'm not going to be a frontline worker getting the vaccine, but I'll be I'll be up there as soon as it reaches, uh, you know, us plebs, I guess, us people that Jeez. don't need it. Well, we are like in in terms of the vaccine, we are plebs because we're not we're not essential workers. We're not we're not necessarily yeah we're not essential workers and yeah. like we're not older and so yeah. like it's just the yeah. way just the way it goes. But I mean, we'll see. There a lot of news to come out of our like uh, vaccine task force or whatever Canada's calling it now. So we'll see. Also, I uh, I'm with you on the 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 home the home sprint. So because this news and because the thing is out and is like marketable and I think is being already used as of as of yes. us talking. Um, basically, I have been like my girlfriend and I had some like socially distant. Don't worry. Uh, new uh, New Year's plans, and I think we're just gonna kind of kibosh them and maybe just like hang out and watch a movie because I was like, let's maybe not. Like, if there was no light at the end of the tunnel, like, we could be still, you know, following procedure as per what the government says, but um, still, you know, going out and doing the odd thing according to those regulations. But I'm kind of like, let's kind of just make it to the end and then we can do whatever the hell we want. So, uh, yeah, we're kind of, I I believe we're in agreement for that. Uh, We just kind of discussed it briefly. So uh, I think that's kind of where we're at as well. Uh, but my weekly pain point is more work-based. So we have verbal agreements with a lot of our clients. We like to kind of keep it sort of fast and loose, if you will. Um, people that we work with, a lot of them are small business owners and they prefer non-structured like big contracts. They just want to be like, hey, just invoice me what we agree and do what you agree and that's it. So um, the verbal, uh, so basically we have a verbal agreement like that with a particular client and uh, we are going to move that just because work is just flowing in like crazy. So kind of as flow control, we're going to be moving that probably to an actual agreement of sorts. So we still have some sorting out to do, uh, but that's my weekly pain point. We've been discussing it. Mike and I have been discussing it off and on uh, because it can be considered a touchy topic uh, with, you know, whoever, like if a person suddenly gets switched from a verbal agreement to an actual agreement, they might think that, you know, we don't like working with them or something like that. And that's not the case. It's just the fact that we need flow control and a little bit of like cover, if you will, to make sure that we're giving good service and expected service. You know, we write down, we will respond by this time and they know, oh, they will respond by this in this amount of time. So it's just to make it a little bit more formal, a little bit more uh, agreeable and a little bit better communicated, I would say. Um, But that's basically my weekly pain point. But uh, this is a mic heavy episode so mike please sir take it away okay so we're talking revisiting old projects and uh, i'm just going to break down the segments a little bit here segment number one will be what are old projects so just going to give you a definition of what i'm assuming they are Uh, segment number two will be how to get familiar with the code bases this will be kind of a generalized section which which actually will refer to not only old projects but any code base so Take what you will from that. And then the third one is kind of the question that I want to have this uh, this episode, which is, should you do a major refactor or build from scratch when you're talking about old projects? So how essentially how to maintain an old project. Um, so let's get right into it. Segment number one, what are old projects? So old projects can be anything that uh, 
is using tech you don't currently support anything that was built in the past with tech with technology that you're not up to date with it could be your own project or it could be an inherited project in in the works in the workplace right so you could be getting to a workplace and uh one of your first things can be like hey get get up to date on this old on this older project that we haven't uh, updated in a while you know understand some of the ins and outs, figure it, figure it out. That could be your task. And that's not a very defined task. That might not be the best task to get when you get to a company, but it is something pretty common from my understanding. Uh, it's something that I've given some of my junior developers uh, tasks to do because it really does kind of put a little bit of pressure on you to understand the code, but it's also not pressure that you have to, you know, go in and develop a feature for something live and get get going. It gives you a little bit of time to familiarize yourself with how the company writes code. And it provides a service to your company because if we, we usually need to update some older stuff, we can allow our junior developers to kind of go in there and get their hands dirty and get, uh, get used to a code base. So, Jumping right into the next segment here, how to get familiar with that code base. So first thing, the first thing that you, I would do if I was given a new, like an older code base to familiarize yourself with again, whether it's something I, write, I wrote myself or it's something that someone else wrote that I have to familiarize myself with is try to launch it. Try to get the end-to-end going. So if it's a back-end, front-end kind of system where it has a back-end portal and a front-end application, I would, you know, launch the back-end, launch the front-end, and try to do whatever it is that AB needs to do. If it's a pizza ordering application, I would try to order a pizza. Like, I would try to get, a t- like, the full end-to-end task complete, right? And you're going to find that a lot of the times, even this part is a little bit challenging and will lead you down a few rabbit holes where, like, what kind of server are they using? What kind of technology? Like, do I do uh, do I need a, a dev server to be able to run it? Do I need to npm install the packages? Uh, do I need to put this on a server because it's using some sort of tech that's server based? Do I need to have like you know MAMP or LAMP or whatever? Like, do I need to have a full snack operational? And that'll teach you a lot of what you need to know about the project right off the bat, and could be the thing that like propels you into the project. It could be easy. It could be just HTML, JavaScript, CSS. You launch a live server and you're done. And that 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 task is complete. But again, it'll show you the complexity of the project that you're looking at. So next here is find a small task which you want to accomplish or which you've been assigned to accomplish on, on this project. That small task could be, hey, can you update all of our footers from uh 2020, like 20, 2019 to 2020, it could be as small as, hey, can you update some of the language on this page specifically? Can you update the iconography here? Like it's usually something fairly small that you want to start yourself with, right? It could be a, a little bit of a JavaScript thing where you're, you know, changing a date and time function or something like that. Um, and what this allows you to do is allows you to, again, familiarize yourself with some intricacies of the code. It allows you to start like actually looking at the, at the code elements and figuring out what controls what. Cause a lot of the times, like you go into a project and if it's a really big project, it's not going to be as easy as going into the index.html file and finding, you know, the copyright and changing the copyright. A lot of the times it's going to, that copyright is going to be controlled by some sort of date, uh, some sort of date component, which is going to be also controlled by some, uh, something else. And it's going to be either needlessly complex or complex for a reason. And you have to find that out as well. Um, during that process, you can recommend refactoring if it is needlessly complex, stuff like that. And that's all kind of a valuable add that you can add to an older code base as well as you go through it. I was going to ask, I was going to actually say this at the end, but I think this might be the time to, to sort of jump in. But 
we've been and we discussed this last year as well and then it didn't end up happening just because the amount of cl- of new clients didn't increase but the projects themselves grew but as we started like accruing a lot of clients uh on our like web agency business to be clear for the listener um we kind of like saw like a big growth curve of like smaller projects but from a, bo- a bunch of people and one of the things that we were looking at doing was getting um I can't remember the, the name of it now. Not not a not a CMS, but like a customer like oh a CRM or something like a CRM or something. We were just shopping, and it was basically what I wanted to do was basically have like if Mike was my customer, I'd write you know Mike's name or Mike's company name, however we want to identify him in the system, and then I would write notes on him. So if for example uh, I did two projects for him, one old, one new, and the old project was built a certain way, and like we would write notes in the under the old project under Mike of like. This is how we fixed this issue. We had trouble changing the nav bar. This is how we did it. This article was really helpful with a link. Just notes that would help future people. Almost like a knowledge base on that customer, on the specific project that we're working on. And so if you, as the client, Mike, in this example, would come to me and say, hey, can you change the small things? If those small things, like the footer, for whatever reason, is in a weird spot in the CMS. And that's why it was challenging. Um... I could like refer to the notes and like, you know, you know, control F, whatever footer. Oh yeah. There's some notes about the footer. How like, like there does come a point though. And we talked about this where the investment in time of, first of all, you got to buy the system or rent the system or make this system, like this whole note taking system uh, or like have a full CRM or whatever. Like I said, we were just shopping, but the point is like, where, at what point do you think that that would become invaluable or do you think that it would, do you think that it would be even a thing that you would reach for? So someone reaches out to you, you have to familiarize yourself. You're like, damn, it's been like four years or something. I haven't done this in a long time. Would you dive or rather, would you reach for those notes or would you just jump in first? Like, is there obviously in it, for example, things are rapid. So if you're trying to fix something, you, you would check really quick, probably. If you're unsure, then maybe you would check the notes if like your notes kept on a customer are really good because that might make it really quick. Sometimes the notes is the first thing you reach for, depending on your workflow. But when it comes to like familiarizing yourself with the code base, it's more involved than just like, hey, my Facebook button doesn't work. So like, how how would you handle it? And do you think that having notes like that is even worth it? So, okay. And this leads perfectly into my next point. So that was that was a good buildup. Uh, but Essentially with the notes or readmes in, in, in terms of a web development project, a lot of this stuff is going to be captured in a readme. Um, it's possible that it could also be captured in a task management software. So if, if this project was around before you were there and, or even when you were there and it was being worked on by a team of people and they were using something like Jira, for instance, then you can kind of go in and figure out a few things from those tickets as well. And that's something that you can use in the future. Um, that's not something that I would jump into right away. I wouldn't jump into Jira and check what people were working on. Uh, but it's definitely something, it's one of the steps that I would take to solve or debug or to move forward. But with like a readme uh, for, for a web development project, um, that would be one of the first things I look at as well. And maybe I should have mentioned that before, but in, in my next point, I have here read comments, variable names, function names, file names, and including readmes, right? This would be where you would read the readme. And a lot of the times that will give you a, the layout of how to build your project. So uh, definitely when you're launching the project, you're going to be looking at the readme. Let's be serious. Cause that's where, that's where all the, uh, 
the commands of how to launch a project should be. And when I say should, it's a very much an asterisk because who knows what kind of documentation was written here. If there was great documentation, awesome. You're going to have a way easier time. But most of the time, I can say pretty confidently that you're going to have a situation where the documentation is not going to be great. Whether it's worthwhile to invest in it, that's a whole other story. And I, I, I personally think, yes, for sure, it's worthwhile investing in it. Like I said before, I've talked to developers of larger companies. They do 50-50 splits. So a developer at like a large company, probably like Apple, probably like Google, their development day is or their, their development time on a project is split 50-50 between documentation and code writing. Um, again, that's, that's, a, that's my a big, opinion. That's a big split. Like that's, that's a big split. It's more than yeah. I think most people, most like rapid fire, uh, entrepreneurs, I want to say people that are like building for their own, uh, app or something would want to spend less than 10% of the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a startup, it's not possible to that do a 50 50 split. Yeah, it's just, it's just like, it's not realistic. Uh, when you have a large team and a large amount of developers, it's, it's required, right? Because if you're passing, if you're passing, uh, functionality back and forth between teams, how the heck are you going to do that fast without some, without really good documentation? Like you might hire someone, even though their coding skills aren't very good. If their documentation skills are great because right. they can build out your features. Yes, it won't be as robust as a feature built out by some, you know, 10x developer. But if that 10x developer can't document shit and you need to pass that functionality on, the next developer might spend 800 hours trying to figure out this person's like chicken scratch and uh, waste company money and company time. So it's really, really important in a larger company and a larger team setting and a setting that where you need to support products for you know 5 10 15 years that you write damn good documentation and uh, again if you're lucky enough to step into a project that has great documentation start there 100% we always tell people that like when they're learning libraries when they're learning uh, frameworks when they're learning anything javascript uh like um documentation the readmes all those things are really really important and learning how to read them and use them is important. Like we, Matt and I, when we were doing our schooling, we spent like a significant portion of one of our courses learning how to read a spec sheet, right? Like we, we were, we, we just had to learn how to read the documentation of like a microcontroller just so that we knew because not like, yes, Google can solve a lot of your questions, but as soon as you get into these niche tasks and these niche softwares that need to be like used to integrate with something else a b and c like if you need a library that needs to integrate with another third-party library you're going to get into a situation where google is just not going to cut it and if you don't know how to read documentation you're not going to be able to solve the answer so learning how to read documentation might be a whole other topic that we cover um, because i think it is important another another thing oh sorry i was just gonna add though is like on top of documentation though it's 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 easy to get bogged down in wanting to do uh something quick so if you're like man how the hell do i update this blog you just start like you know pulling levers clicking buttons whatever and it's just not working or if more specifically usually if something's actually broken or if you're not sure how something is working learning how to read logs is is also exceptionally valuable because it will lead you to that thing to google but sometimes it will just lead you to the solution so like what mike is saying with the niche Everything has everything has its own sort of setup. Not everything, but most most projects, most frameworks, most CMSs, whatever, 
servers, everything, they have like their own set of logs. And it's very valuable for you to jump in and learn how to read those logs and figure out exactly what is going on. I'll give a, a really basic consumer example. So I have uh, a laptop that is like more powerful than my current desktop. And I was streaming like, uh, like Twitch streaming from my laptop. But I noticed that sometimes when streaming from my laptop, the, str- the stream would die, but it was weird. Like I wasn't having any trouble with connectivity. I wasn't losing connection to the game. I was playing online. But I would just like the the stream would die for the viewer, but they would refresh and it would come back. And everyone was saying it's on the playback end, like it's on their end. But I was like, but it doesn't make sense because multiple people are experiencing it. It must be from me. And it's not. Sometimes I play an older game, so I just use my older computer. And like, it's not doesn't do it for my older computer. And from reading logs, I found out here it is. Here's the problem. 0.2% of frames are being dropped due to bandwidth limitation. Why? I'm on Wi-Fi. So it's just like, you know, it's five gigahertz, it's fast, it's doing its job, but it's a lot to ask for, connect to the server, transcode, send it out over Wi-Fi while like doing live voice chat, and God knows what else is happening on that Wi-Fi channel at that time. And so that makes sense. 0.2% correlates with like, like you don't want any drop or is like a little bit of drop, right? And if there is a drop of 0.2, you know, that's why when you refresh, it comes back. And that was on that knowledge only came to me because everything I was Googling was saying it's on the playback users end. tell them to change this setting, change this, change that, change the servers, change whatever. But now I know, no, I'm getting that error because the blip is so small that like the player is screwing up, but the screwing up because of me. And so now I know, okay, like I'll either wire it up or maybe I'll lower my, like, I'm going to try a couple of things because it's only happens here and there, but like reading the logs help me with that niche issue of which literally no article helped me. Exactly. And and that perfectly goes into reading, like learning how to use the inspect element, reading the console logs, reading the tools, uh, the, the debugger, using breakpoints and stuff like that. And this is a really important one because think about it. When you're going into a new code base, you press, you know, you know, you, you run the code and it shows you the website and it shows you a bunch of the stuff. Like if, let's say the website is showing you a bunch of... Uh, um, you know, store items, right? And in the, in the store, there's like, you know, a, a toothbrush or like, you know, toothpaste. Like there's just a bunch of store items and it just shows you it. But really what's happening in the background is it's contacting an API of sorts or it's using a local, a local database, right? You don't know. It's contacting an API or using a local database, finding that information, uh, taking it, getting it in some format. You don't know what format it's getting it in. Maybe a JSON, maybe XML, whatever. It's getting it in some sort of format and then parsing that format and displaying it on the page. So there's a lot of steps that go into just bump and show a bunch of store items. And for you as a developer, you've got to know those steps because if you need to go in and let's say instead of not only showing price, they also want to show quantity of the item. You need to figure out where that information is coming from. And with Inspect Element tools, you can go in, look at the code in, inside of Inspect Element, inside the Sources tab, find where you think the, the code is coming from, where you think that API is ca- coming from, where you think it's being called, and start putting breakpoints. And as soon as it hits a breakpoint, first, you know exactly where it's coming from. You know exactly what's calling it because the breakpoint, the breakpoint will give you a call stack. It'll give you everything, all the, all the variables that are currently initialized at that certain time, Right. And you'll be able to see what the how the, the data is coming in in what format. And you'll be able to kind of go in and maybe put some console logs down to see exactly what you're getting and when you're getting it. And then you'll see, oh, look, this is in JSON. This the store item is in JSON format. And it's literally like the the uh 
quantity is literally labeled as QTY in this format. And all I have to do is just, you know, take that and put it in the HTML. Bam, you're done. If you know how to use the inspect tool debugger in Chrome, Firefox, whatever, they all work pretty well. You'll, you'll be a much better developer because debugging is going to be extremely important. And I believe we have an episode on Chrome debugging or Chrome, like the Chrome dev tool debugging. You can go back and listen to that. Uh, but regardless, learn how to use that debugger. Don't be scared of it. Open it up. Anytime you're, you're in the, uh, you're, you're, you're doing any sort of code, see what's going on, see the console log errors. Again, learn how to read the console log errors as well, because that's going to be a key point. Um, there's a lot of noise. That's something that I'll throw out there, especially if you have extensions. If you have an ad blocker or if you have an extension that in, like intercepts scripts or whatever for security, you're going to see a bunch of errors and you know how to know what is, an, what is an error that actually pertains to you. That's why maybe it's better to actually do your debugging inside of like an incognito window so you can get those error, uh, get those you know false errors out of there and get rid of the noise. But w- with that being said, uh, moving on here, don't get too overwhelmed with how much code there is. If it's a big project, focus on the small small chunks and specific functionality rather than the full end-to-end. It's really easy to go into a project, see that it's, you know, like 150 files, 150 components, all different entry points, all different stores, et cetera, et cetera. If it's a React or Vue project, it could be, it could look very intimidating to someone that is not familiar with large projects. But what you need to do is kind of fight yourself on being intimidated too much and just focus on the small stuff. Like I said before, if you find a small task, you're going to be focused usually on a couple of files. And that's all you really care about at that time. And as you start understanding the interconnection between the files, because a lot of the time you'll have like a component within a component, or this is this component is using the store uh, like the, the uh, like a state management system to get a bunch of information, and that's how and that's how the pattern is, is, is in place throughout the entire project, you'll start having that aha moment being like, oh, that's how these things communicate. And when you have that aha moment, you're very well on your way to understanding the project. You're very well in that situation where you're like, okay, now I can handle pretty much any of these components. They're all working kind of the same way. They're just you know transferring and showing different information. No big deal. You just need to get yourself slowly to that point. Don't overwhelm yourself by opening 50 files and trying to figure out like, oh, oh, where, where's this file coming in? Like, why, why is there 50 files that are labeled index.html? Like, what, what's going on? Try to find the files that pertain to you. And there's different strategies on how to do that. Uh, one of the ideal things that I would say is trying to go in and find the main files, like the files that are generating the code. So for instance, like the main.js file or the app.view file or whatever it is in React, the file that's kind of taking all the other files and instantiating them, initializing them. And from there, work your way down into the more like uh, niche files or the more uh, component-based files. So don't start like all the way down the stack on like a, an icon file. Try to get in a more generalized file and work your way down. Well, here, here's a question for you. So, you know, you, you return to an old cold base and you, you, you may not remember, you may not remember the ins and outs clearly, right, of what you did. But you more than likely will remember, depending on how long it's been, how familiar, how familiar you were with the code base before. And so I think a trap that you might fall into, or maybe this isn't a trap and you can comment on this, is you might go in and be like, you know, I I found the file in which I need to change the footer, which is what the client is asking for. 
but I, I'm not as familiar with everything. And so I'm a little bit worried about like rebuilding it or like whatever. And so I think you could possibly fall into the trap, or maybe this is what you need to do, of trying to become more familiar or become as familiar as you were with it before, but in like rapid cram, like study cramming type style. And I think that you can fall into that trap of being like, you know, some some devs or some any one will be like, well, let's see what this does. Like, you know, some people are just more adventurous, I guess, even with the, the daily tasks, like, well, let's so see if this takes it down, boop, 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 and then that's it. Whereas other people are like, no, 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 no. I used to know the ins and outs and knew exactly what this build would do every single time, exactly where it was. I need to be there before I'm confident in doing it. Now, that might apply to something that's exceptionally important that ne- that that should never go down or something like that. Of course, you know, play your cards as your situation is, is in front of you, basically. But what would you say to people like that where, you know, it's a website that if it goes down, you could just fix it. You know, it's not like life-threatening or there's not like a ridiculous amount of data or like it's there's no risk of data loss or you know whatever it's just like a marketing website do you think that those people you think that it is a trap to fall back into to try to become as familiar with your code base or do you think that like would you you be the person that just goes like well let's see how this goes or would you be the person that dives back in and goes like christ i need to spend two days trying to figure out what the hell's going on here if I need to change a footer and that's it on that project for the next potential year or year and a half or two years or three years, um, I would do only that. And I would do it. I would, I would be willing to break the website. But the thing is, is like, I'm always willing to break the site on my own machine, whether I'm willing to break it. Like if, if I have to go into like an FTP server and edit it live, which is not a realistic, you know, expectation no one no one's going to ask you to go on to like open up vs code and link it directly to an ftp server and every time you save it saves to the ftp server on like the master you know production that's not going to happen to you like that's not a thing that happens um but again if it does be careful but if like most of the time be willing to break it to like nothing like never be afraid of like oh what if i change this and it breaks the whole thing you can always revert you can always undo you can always go back to an old commit like that should be the furthest thing on your mind whether to spend a bunch of time and get into that trap of learning a full project just to edit a footer that i would say yes like avoid that trap because if you have a bunch of stuff like you only have a capacity to know a certain amount of things at a time if your main task is something completely unrelated to this one and you were just asked to take a couple hours out of your day to edit a footer take a couple hours out of your day and edit that footer and then go back to your main task. Don't cloud yourself with a bunch of knowledge that you don't need. But a lot of the time, or at least some of the time, you'll have a situation where, hey, we need to fire this project back up because we need to do a major change because we got a new feature um, that we need to implement into it and we need to integrate it with the old code base. That's That's the assignment where you need to go through these steps and make sure you understand how the code base is interacting with each other. Because if you just, you know, jank your way into that project without looking at the overall communication, something's gonna go wrong either right away or down the line and you're not gonna be able to fix it. Right. And if it's a something important, this could be a serious issue. And and of course, like we said, if you're if you're one of those people that's that has to push directly into production and you're working on a very critical website, maybe this isn't a trap. Like maybe you should familiarize yourself to ensure that you know what you're doing because you don't want to like yeah. take down an entire bank's network or take down like a medical system that's crucial just because someone wanted the year changed in the footer. Like do risk assessment, of course, right? I guess it's possible like if it's a really old 
system that's not just running JS, Java, like JavaScript via, um, and uh, HTML. It has like an SQL database associated with it and stuff like that, that it could be a live edit. Um, it's just, I feel like that's got to be uncommon and you've got to try to avoid doing well, that. Th- like you've- the thing is, though, is like it, it, it might seem like it would be uncommon in, in the zeitgeist of the web developer. But there's a lot of web developers out there that are still using, I mean, WordPress uses SQL, uh, but there's a lot of, we're using a learning system uh, right now in one of our projects that is absolutely using SQL, you know, and stuff like that. And some, a lot of that stuff, some of that stuff is absolutely just a live edit. Yeah. But you can absolutely have a local SQL database. Absolutely. Yes. You can even take like the production database, back it up and run it locally. You know what I mean? Like you can you can get around that situation. I'm I'm just thinking: is there a situation in that maybe you can't run it locally, or you can't just spin up another dev server? Like like only the you know production I mean? is it? it like that's it? Like yeah, there's only no the production. I I don't I don't think that's a very common issue. Right. Uh, whether whether your your company is forcing you to do that is a totally different aspect. But I think there's always a way around having to edit live code without trying it locally first, or at least on a dev server. Right. Right. So, yeah. So that that's what I would always aim for. If you don't, yeah, like, like Matt said, risk assess for sure. Um, yeah, I think other than that, there's a, a file I'm going to link. And I don't know if we're going to throw up these show notes anytime soon. But in the future, when we have the HTML of Things website, hopefully we can throw that up. But it's this uh, little tool called uh, Rewind. And it's made by Giles Bowick. Bowicket? Bowicket? Um, it's a, it's a GitHub, yeah, it's called rewind. And essentially what it does is it analyzes your projects, uh, Git relationships and figures out what files were worked on the most and what files are worked on most recently. And this will give you a really good indication on what files to focus on your initial, like, you know, discovery phase. So if like, you know, this index file was focused on for like what was the most used index file that's most likely the one that has the all the initialization in it you know what i mean and those are the kinds of deductions you can make as you move forward through through the uh through the process it's a cool little tool you can check it out again i'm just going to say the 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 name of the app again it's called rewind and it's made by giles boweket so g i l e s b o w k e t t so if you, i'm sure if you just google Giles Boa Kit Rewind, you'll find the Git repo. Um, you know what? That, yeah, that's, that's actually invaluable. Mm-hmm. Just a real, 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 real brief point. Yeah. Is it's exactly the same uh, mentality as uh, using the history command on Linux. I remember when you one time, we had a problem with something and like I'd never worked on this particular server. You would set it up and you're like, I don't have the commands in front of me, whatever. How, like, can you figure it out? And I was just like, sure. So I just like logged in, used the history command, figured out generally what you were working on. Then I dove in and was like, oh, okay, I need to do this. So same type of thing. Like if you're a system same in exact. same, same, because uh, obviously there's some crossover. That's why I mentioned it is it, history, rewind, whatever, both completely, completely and utterly useful tools that are like well overlooked usually. Well, yeah, other than, exactly. I don't know how overlooked rewind is, but history is. It's pretty <laughs> overlooked. I, I'm going to say it's pretty overlooked. I'm going to guarantee you that most of our audience has not used rewind or heard of it. I've never heard of it or, until now. So, yeah, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely overlooked. It shouldn't be. Uh, that should be like one of the first things, again, that you run in your discovery phase of a project, especially if it's a big one. Again, if like do your do your own assessment. If it's a project that has literally like three files in it, that's like, you know, hosting a cover page on a website and it's just HTML, JavaScript, CSS, 
you probably don't need it. Like you probably don't need rewind. Don't use it. But if it's a project that has 150 files in it and uh, you need to figure out where one of your issues is, it's probably going to be in one of the most used files or one of the mo- one of the most recently updated files or something like that. So you can definitely use something like this. With that being said, uh, let's move on to segment number three, uh, major refactoring or build from scratch. So sometimes you'll be faced with the decision on what to do with an older project. Uh, you'll need either keep supporting it, right, and keep building features onto an older project with an older technology or build it again from scratch on a newer technology, right? That's going to that's gonna come up at some point in your web development career because it's just the nature of things. It's the nature of technologies. Stuff evolves, but you're always in that decision-making stage of like, okay, we've invested three years into this program uh, or one year or two years, whatever it is, and that, that does matter. Uh, and now like... It is a very key part of our business. We are planning on moving forward with it and uh, bringing more features out for it. Should we, you know, sit down, discuss, do we want to create a completely new version of this, like version 2.0 on a completely new technology that will have better features and better support moving forward? That's going to happen. And there's many factors that can make up this decision. I'm just going to break it down to kind of four areas. One of them is going to be size of the project. So size of the project is going to matter a lot. If it's something that like has many, many moving pieces, like I'm talking 150 files again, it has like many developers working on it at the same time. It has a lot of different functionalities. It's going to be a completely different decision than rather a a project that again is just JavaScript, HTML, CSS, right? It's going to be a lot easier for you to take that HTML, CSS, jQuery project, let's say, because it's an older technology and then be like, okay, you know what? We want to convert this to view. Because right now, like we all, we have it all in one file. Maybe it makes sense to break it out into multiple files, make it more reusable so that we can reuse the components or whatever. Uh, but if you have a project that's 150 files that was worked on by a team of 20 people, half those people have already left the company. That's a different aspect. Like how you have to, you have to go through the process of like breaking down what features you're currently using. You have to go through the process of breaking down what features you want to add to it and then go through and analyze the, the amount of time it's going to take you to, to bring it up. And again, it's going to come down to a few of these other, uh, of these other decision factors. So the other one is what devices and browsers you want to support. This one's a big one and kind of affects me personally currently on one of the projects that we're working on. We're supporting devices that are running Android 5.1. Um, and that kind of limits a few things. It doesn't limit a lot. Like it still supports Flexbox. It still supports a lot of the, the newish JavaScript APIs, but there's a there's also a lot of like little things that it doesn't support. It, I think it doesn't support like uh, absolute positioning with Flexbox combined. Like it's just a really weird little thing. It's just a very like specific example. But it's something that actually we, we've run into that, that, multiple weird. times. That's like a very that's so particular. But I mean, I guess yes. they're controlling that for some reason. I don't know. Like Android is controlling the WebView version of it. That's what we're using the application for, right? Like I I believe you can still download one of the newer Chromes, but WebView doesn't get updated. That's tied to the system's Chrome version, right? So it kind of, you're kind of screwed there, but essentially uh, we're not able to do some of our fancy positioning stuff with those devices. And that's how we have to build it moving forward. There's also other like little JavaScript things that aren't supported on it as well. Um, I believe like let and const have uh, not full support. Um, there's like a few other, like there's a few other little things where some of the fun, like arrow functions have an issue being supported. Sometimes you have to babble them down, uh, convert them, convert them to ES4 or whatever. So 
it's a consideration because again, these devices not only are running on um, older not only are they older because again they're they're built for 5.1 they're also running an older version so you have to consider the, the the resources it takes so for instance we have a device that has kind of like a media playback capability um i'm really hesitant to move those uh those applications to a vue.js react front end because again that adds a little bit of overhead and those devices are already running at the edge of their limitations. So adding that little bit of overhead, it could cause some lag. It could cause some frame drops on the media. So what my suggestion to the team was, let's keep all of the media playback stuff as close to like regular JavaScript as possible. Remove any libraries that we can. Remove jQuery. Right now we're using jQuery on it. So that's my that's my like minor refactor that I want to do. Let's remove jQuery so that even that is like another layer that we're going to get rid of. And let's make sure that we can run, like use these devices as low powered and as like um, out of date as they are to their full capacity. Because we're not, currently we don't have another device that can replace it, um, but we are looking at that. And maybe in the future we will be able to drop support for it. But for now, that was kind of my uh, my suggestion based on what we need to support. Like if you need to support Internet Explorer, you're probably not going to be using one of the newer technologies. You're <laughs> I would hope use, not. Like, yeah, like it's just it's just the reality of it. Now, yes, you can build uh, like compatibility things where you can do a check to see if it's Internet Explorer and use an older technology for that. But that requires, again, another level of complexity. You have to, you know, get get your full team on board with that. And anytime you build a feature, you have to test it and make sure that it can work in both. And it, it, it adds another layer of issues that can be developed. And it adds another thing that like your older clients might not be able to see. Um, and maybe if the lower, if the, if it's a really low percentage, you can just build core functionality. But for us on those 5.1 devices, that's like a majority of our devices, or at least like a, a, a very high percentage. So we couldn't, like, we didn't have that option. Uh, we would have to support both regardless. So it didn't make sense to kind of build these, all these new feature for like all these new features for only like, you know, 60% of our audience. Um, another thing here is the time and resources available for the project. Sometimes, you know, it's going to come down to that. So as much as you want and as much as it makes sense to completely refactor an old project or completely remake an old project in a new technology, like let's say like all these new features will be enabled, you might only have a couple weeks to to do it because you have all these other stuff in the pipeline and you have to, you have to get it going. If you only have that, I mean, you have to be realistic with yourself. Building something from scratch is going to take time. So you, if your project management team, if your management isn't going to allow you to take the proper amount of time to build it out, don't do it. It's not worth it. If you think like, oh, I can just pump this out in two weeks if I cram, don't do that to yourself or your team. It's not worth it. Absolutely. Support the project as it is, you know, add on to it, do the minor refactors that you have to do and make it work. Because that's just, it, at the end of the day, you're trying to get a task done. And if it, if it completes the task, that's, the, that's your goal. If you have the resources and time, and if it makes sense, if your if your project management team's like, hey, like we have the resources right now, it's like it's year end, that the start of the year it's going to be slow. Let's take two or three months to rebuild this project. You know, that's it's a no brainer if you have that kind of resource and time, and if it makes sense. And the thing is, too, is like we've had it before where um, I think it was more of a budget constraint, but we had to work on a website where it was just all just like an old version of Dreamweaver. And, you know, just did what we had to do, refactor what we had to update what we needed to update because this website needed frequent updates, update what we had to update and use Dreamweaver as needed. But basically, like eventually we pushed for a refactor, but only when the time was right. 
it was years, I think, or at least two years, I think, or something like yeah. that, a while of us just using Dreamweaver. And that's no, just... It was, a lo- it was a long time because it made sense. Because it made sense. And it did yeah. the job. It did the job. Like, as bad as it was, it was a really bad experience for us editing it and for the user seeing it. But it literally did the job that was that was required of the website to show information about a certain business. Yeah, like, right? it was basically like us handing out information and forms so it's like it wasn't a, a website all based on pictures and design it wasn't like an art studio and the people were able to expediently get what they wanted and they knew where it was because they had used the website for, for a number of years and therefore even though it wasn't visually appealing or even like technically appealing it was way better than us redoing the whole thing under rush with no budget etc cetera, etc cetera. when the time was right when the budget was there the time was there we jumped on it and then we redid it and that's just that's exactly how we handled it yeah. And I think that was the right way to handle it as early as, as it was in our career. I think we did the right move. And the last thing here is familiarity, right? So how familiar are you with the technology that you're going to be changing? Or are you with like the newer technology that you're going to be changing to? So again, another example, like um, I was really familiar with jQuery before. Uh, we moved on to Vue.js ever since to, for our reactive uh, progressive frameworks, but I was really familiar with jQuery. So whenever we wanted to do a new project, it's always part of the consideration. It should never be the full part. Like if you're really familiar, like if you're amazing at Dreamweaver, that's that alone shouldn't make you use Dreamweaver, right? Because there's so many other reasons to not use it. But if you're really familiar with something, like if you're really familiar with jQuery, that should factor into your decision on what you want to do with the project. Whether that whether or not it's the best technology out there, it shouldn't matter as much. Right. It should it should be a combination of all four of these factors that I was just talking about. And it should be it should be considered equally. So if you're if all of your developers are, for instance, let's, let's talk, let's do a React versus Vue conversation. Let's say like everyone likes Vue better. OK, sure, whatever. That's not really true. Obviously, React is still huge, but let's say that that's true. But your entire team is React based. Is it really worthwhile for you to take your t- take your team, rip out React and go to Vue just because it's a little bit faster just because it's a little bit newer, even though that React does all the same functionality, has just as much support, if not more, all that. Like, it doesn't really make sense, right? Like, it, the, the, there shouldn't, th- that 100% should weigh into your decision, regardless of anything else. Um, but if it's something like, hey, uh, you know, we built this in JavaScript, jQuery, PHP back in the day, and now we've switched to a different stack, like a Vue stack, like we have. And now let's go back to our old project, which we haven't touched in a few years. Are we familiar with that enough? Or are we now more familiar with Vue, right? And should like, that that's the other part of the familiarity is like you're now familiar with something newer. It kind of starts making sense to rebuild your older code base in your newer stack, especially if you're intending to support your newer stack for a lot longer than your old one. So those are the kinds of things that I wanted to put in mind. Again, there's no real answer to any question like if i you know it would be very much dependent on all of these factors and you would have to do a deep dive into all of them don't spend weeks deep diving that's another little like rabbit hole that you can get into another little trap that you can get into this should be like a couple days at most of part-time like looking through and and talking over with your team with your cto with your project lead whatever and then making a decision and sticking with it that's the key. Don't be, don't do this like couple month thing of like, 
Oh, every, every day on the stand-up. Okay, are we doing it? No, we're not doing it. Yes, we're doing it. Okay, let's have a big argument. In the end of the day, as long as you have the time and resources, and as long as your team's bought in, both are going to work out well for you. Yeah, I think I think that, that summed it up nicely. And I think another thing, just as a real brief thing, which I, I think you touched on anyway, but just to sort of drive it home, is you changing, you changing your technology or... Do whatever i guess this is more talking to the familiarity point is you might actually lose team members like you could lose talent if someone's like man i want to just learn react like i'm here to learn or like advance my skills with react and you guys are switching to view like i'm out of here especially if the job market's good at the at that moment and there's a lot of react devs or a lot of react dev job openings around you might lose that talent and god knows how much you spend getting that talent so you have to also factor in the fact that, yes, now you have to retrain people on Vue and you have to refamiliarize with Vue and you have to learn how to work as a team on Vue. And it doesn't matter how similar or how different it is, you have to factor in the fact that you also may lose a team member. That's just a reality behind behind it as well. Yep, it's true. Uh, but last uh, or the uh, last segment, I suppose, web news. Um, so... We're talking about two phone life again, and spelt f o n e l y f e just for fun. I don't know why I did that. I just I thought I thought that writing two phone life the right way looked a little bit too plain, so I just wrote it like this. Anyway, that's my brain. But I have officially entered the two phone carrying businessman. So I was originally trained basically back in college, back in uh, my BlackBerry working days as a co-op, because like they just gave me a BlackBerry to use, and that was how I sort of divided my life regular my regular my regular phone if you can call it that my personal phone had all my friends and all my personal plans on there and then all my work stuff was on my blackberry uh i eventually got a blackberry for a personal phone but the it was still separate i basically had two blackberries at that point now i or when we first started the business i was having everything on one phone and that was fine for a while especially since there was minimal stuff coming in as the business grew uh, but as we've been slowly being put on larger and larger projects, as we've mentioned before this year, uh, the requests are coming in at like a unprecedented rate or like not like it's not like it's every single day, but it's always at like weird times or whatever. Um, and it's common enough that it started becoming a problem. And so also social media was a major problem because I have all my personal social media stuff all my work social media stuff. And so my phone literally I would g- say drive 20 minutes so i'm not checking my phone and get out of the car wherever i'm at check my phone 100 like wouldn't be wouldn't be like weird to see 100 notifications because it's like this person liked this this person retweeted this this person tweeted this this person liked your photo this person messaged you and it's just it just got overwhelming uh and not to mention that not to mention the biggest one was the stress factor of people just derailing me even on days off so I would check my phone to like talk to a friend and suddenly someone's complaining about something being down. And even if I'm not obligated to fix it that day, I would just have a hard time kicking, like keeping that out of my mind. And I'm like, fuck, like now they're having trouble with it. Like I better go look, you know, now I'm worried. Like how bad is this? What's the problem? And they're like, now their users are pissed, you know, like, let me go look. And it just became that. Um, so I can say that this, you know, splitting my phone again is really helping me. I'm, I'm being more responsive with people that I know, like personally, I'm actually like checking my phone, knowing that the notifications are for, are actually for, uh, personal. And that, so I'm like not afraid to check my phone. Uh, I am leaving my work where I'm leaving my work. So effectively on the weekend, I've like, I'll check it here and there, 
but not all that much. And I'm like choosing to check it. And that actually came in handy this week because there was a problem with someone's site really late at night. And this person had called me and texted me. And that would normally, I was like, I had plans that night, um, online plans, but regardless, um, and that like would have derailed my plans and maybe worried all night and it would have been like freaking out. But now I just like, I chose to check it. I saw it. I dealt with it in the moment and then I just sort of moved on and I was able to like leave that. And I didn't, I didn't get the phone call. I didn't get those text messages until I chose to get them. Now, of course, I'm not trying to use this to be lazy, um, but this is making us a lot more, even a lot more active on social media. Mike is sending a lot of photos of his desk. I'm taking some photos of my coffee and stuff like that. Uh, it's just making it better. Like it, it, it comes back to that reaching for a tool sentiment. Where when I pick up my iPhone, which is what I have an iPhone 11 for work, when I reach for my iPhone, I'm reaching for work and I know what I'm looking at. I know what I'm going to deal with. I know what the potential of what's happening and whatever. But when I'm trying to make a personal plan or a personal whatever, I will grab my phone and then that's my phone again is basically what I wanted. Um, so some things to separate a couple people have still been moved over or whatever. But for the most part, like emails and everything are all moved over. And I'm just getting a lot, like I'm, I'm ripping through notifications, even though it's on two phones, you would think it takes me longer. It's I'm ripping through them. Cause I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in work mode or in work hours or whatever. And I'm picking up my iPhone and then I'm just ripping through all my work notifications. I'm not, I'm not entering this roller coaster of personal notification, personal notification, work, 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 personal work, work. And then I'm having this weird prioritization complex. Yes. There's still prioritization in answering things, but I'm entering, do I like, what's, what's, what's priority for work life? What's priority for social life? And I'm, I'm just getting a lot. I'm, I'm, I, I, I think I'm actually might be even sleeping better to be totally blunt. Like I, I used to get a lesser quality sleep. Uh, I know that sounds weird just by getting a separate phone, but like I've been sleeping for sometimes only, let's say like six hours uh, in a night. And I'm actually like refreshed sometimes and not always, but like, I would always need like lately I've been sleeping a bunch just cause there's a hell of a lot going on in, in each and every day, personal and otherwise. And so this is like really helping me basically. Um, what stemmed, what, what, what started this too was I got an iPad, uh, as a Christmas gift last year. And I just said, I was like, you know what, I, when I'm on my iPad, I just, I, like, this is my entertainment device. I'm controlling the, the, the smart TV or I'm playing a game on the iPad itself, or I'm looking something up or I'm using it as a Netflix machine or whatever it is. You know, this is my personal device and I don't want to be bothered. And so I never signed into any emails, personal or otherwise. I never did any of that. And then I was telling Mike, I was like, this is my favorite device right now. Cause if I want to escape, I just flip everything off and just like, you know, flip my phones over into the do not disturbs, whatever. And then I just, or my phone at that time. And then I go to my iPad and I use that. So this has really allowed me to separate uh, stuff. Um, basically when I, one of the big problems was like, you know, when I'm eating dinner or whatever, I would answer friends, but then work would come in on the same device and it would derail even my dinner. Like I'm, I'm very much a person that like can get derailed easily. I don't know if that's, well, it's probably not great, but it just, it's just what happens. I, I, I get, I think Mike said it best one day. He's like, I get pissed off when I get interrupted because the thing is, is it's like, you know, hat is important. Uh, random client work is important, but like, let's say I'm working on someone's website and I'm just working on it. Right. It's not done. I'm just working on it. It's not public. And I'm like, okay, I want to get this done this afternoon. And then someone calls me because they accidentally like deleted their logo and they're freaking out because their logo isn't rendering. Now I have to go and like figure out what happened and deal with it. And I'm not a person that could just leave that alone. I am getting better at that, but I think I need that separation of being like, man, I'm not dealing with this right now. Turn this phone into do not disturb. Just leave it. 
and I can use my personal phone. Um, I definitely recommend it to be blunt. Uh, I definitely recommend it. Yes. It's annoying. Sure. Carrying two phones. Yes. You now have two phones. Yes. You now have two phone plans. But the thing is, is it's just, it's, it, it's a lot less stressful. Like to summarize, it's like, it's a lot less stressful for me. I know what tool I'm reaching for and I know what to expect in general. Like, yes, there can be an absolute, you know, firestorm of problems in my personal life, but they're, they're, I deal with them differently. You know, if someone's having a major crisis in their life or something and they text me. I, I, I deal with those differently than work stuff. And now I know what I'm reaching for. And the worst combination ever was when somebody was having a crisis in work. And then a friend was also having a crisis. And now I'm reading both these notifications. was like, who the hell do I answer? And now it's like this bit, you know, and now it's like, well, now, now what? And so this is just, I need separation's good. There'll always be a little bit of bleed. Like some clients will like send me a Facebook message. And so I'll like get that on my personal device. But the for the majority of things it is absolutely separated and it's just honestly it's just a lot better so i have a couple questions um one question is how did you get all the clients to switch to your work phone um so like i said some some of them are still left behind on messenger and stuff like that but what i did tell them is basically like this is my phone number now like hey i have a new phone number this is my phone number now and then i'll Usually a lot of like a lot of our clients, like I'll text. And so I'll just like text them and be like, Hey, like I'll text them from my personal number and be like, Hey, this is, I'm getting, you know, this is my, this is my new number. I don't mention, I don't mention my personal number that like is changing to my personal number. I just say, Hey, this is my new number. I'm going to text you from my new number. Please use this in the future. I add it to my signature, which actually Siri assistant or whatever will actually change the phone number in some people's address books if they have that on because I've, I've typoed my phone number once and then it like people were calling the wrong phone number and people were like why the hell and i didn't know what the heck was going on because i was like no i've told everyone my real number and then i realized i typoed it in one of my email apps and like an idiot and then siri assistant was updating their contacts or whatever um i'm not like super versed i don't know if it's actually called siri assistant but it's something to do with siri <laughs> um basically it was the, it had done it had actually done it to two clients but the point of the matter is basically what I do is I, I change that. So hopefully Siri assistant kicks in on their phones. And then I'm also just like telling them, like, I've just told them like I'm switching and that's it. I don't mention that I'm keeping the personal number. Cause I know, I know for sure that they will be like, Oh, well it's the weekend. I'll just text him on his personal number. So he sees it. Yeah, exactly. That's why, that's why I was going to say is like, I'm surprised they haven't taken advantage of, of that. But yeah, it's a good, that's a good strategy. I think. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Don't, I'll don't even give them that option. I'll mm-hmm. block them too. I don't care because, oh, because yeah. like I've, I've told them this is the communication channel, you know? Exactly. Like I would be, I would be for, like, if someone calls you on your personal one, I would definitely not pick it up hundred percent. Yeah. Or just pick it up with like an accent and just say wrong number or something. <laughs> yeah. Just, just mask it. So they don't know it's me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. But yeah, that, that's a good strategy. Um, another question tech tech wise, is it a pain to have to keep both phones charged and, what do you do with headphones? Because now there's no headphone jacks. Uh, I mean, you you might have like the actual wired headsets and stuff like that. But do you have like a separate wireless head, headphones for this phone and for that phone? Or do you like forget and pair again? Like, how do you do that? So I don't really use the um, work phone for much media per se. What about calls? Um, calls, calls. I often I just actually take on speakerphone. Actually, oh, I just wow. put the phone right on my desk and then I just like work because like usually I like take a look while they're talking to me. 
usually because a call is like a problem uh, generally, or I'll just do it like a regular, like I'll hold the phone type of thing. Um, but like if I had to use Bluetooth, I do have so many, so many Bluetooth headsets. I probably would just pair another one. I have a bunch of cheap ones that I use. Like I just throw them in a bag and if they break, I just get another set. So I have like two or three of those. And so I would probably just pair one of those, but I haven't reached that scenario yet. Maybe when like the lockdowns and stuff end, maybe like I'll be on the go more, but even then, like when I'm on the go, maybe I'll have my work phone on silent and only check it every few hours or whatever the case may be, um, for sure. But what's what's super interesting um, is is that the iPhone, so the iPhone 11, is like has a really good battery, and because I'm splitting use, my Note 10 Plus, which also has a good battery, even though it's a year old now ish. Now because I'm splitting use, the battery is really good on both. <laughs> like it's even better because I'm using them each less, and so I'm actually just wirelessly charging them like every other night. So I just have one phone on charge every other night. Basically, okay. Because I only really charge my Note 10 Plus, even when I was at work, uh, even when it was work and personal, I would charge it ev- pretty much every other night. Or sometimes it would be like before I went to bed, I would have to charge it like two, three hours before I went to bed. The second day, like it'd last for like a day, day and three quarters, like a day plus a three quarters of another day, or two days sometimes, depending on heavy use. Now it's like pretty much two days consistently, and I'm basically just wireless, just throwing them on a wireless charger, and then just doing it that way. Um, I am getting like a new desk cause this desk is just falling apart. And so I am going to get like a nice fast, like wireless to wireless charger 2.0, whatever one that like sits up. So I'm going to put that on my desk. And I think for the most part, unless otherwise needed, I'm probably going to try to make the iPhone's charging schedule during work on that little charger. Like I'll just toss it on there. It'll charge up and then. You know what I mean? Like it'll it'll charge up and then that's it. Like it, it it's easy enough to uh, deal with, I suppose. Like it's you would think it's a pain with like adapters and everything, but with the with like the the versatility of wireless charging, actually, it's really nice. Just plop it on the desk and then that's it. I will say one thing that is was annoying, but I actually ended up liking it was I like to text people, but from my computer, so I can quickly type and like quickly take screenshots and quickly send them stuff. Um. But I feel less obligated to do that, and I still, like, you know, obviously offer support, but I feel less obligated to offer, like, really, really detailed text message support now. Text messages are, because I can't get them on my PC, or at least I don't know how, from the iPhone, um, I just have to type them on the phone. And so I will instead opt for an email, of which I'm getting a lot more information in, and I email much less frequently. So I'm actually getting the same amount of support across with a lot less detail, and so it's actually saving me time. And when I get notifications on my PC, short of like being a workday or whatever, and like my work email, um, I'm actually just getting personal like DMs, like chats. Discord is the one exception. Messenger on an exceptionally rare basis, which hasn't even happened yet, is the is another exception. But um, that's basically how I'm doing it. Like, uh, there, there's been a couple of days where. It'll be like the end of the day, whatever last few hours, and I need to do like a bunch of social media work. And I just hop on the iPhone and I'm on the iPhone for two two to four hours, let's say, of just like dealing with social media, dealing with check whatever, like checking uh, insights, you know, responding to people, answering people's messages, you know, just doing stuff like that, researching. Like I was, we're doing research for another uh, type of way to share our show out. So like I do my research on there and it, what's great about it is, um, airdrop which i which airdrop i know is between apple devices 
But I've, there's been a couple of times where something's like, I get something personal on my work phone. And so I need it on my personal device. So I'll just, I'll just airdrop it to, I'll just airdrop it to my, to my iPad. And then that's it. And then I, and then it's like, it's literally that easy. So I'm not like, I'm not getting into the Apple ecosystem fully, like airdrops really cool, whatever there. It has its problems. I don't like how I can't get my SMS on computer. I think that's still weird. Like I'd like to still have it there, I think, but I think it's actually beneficial that it's not there, but I still have that craving, but I just, if you had a Mac, you could have it, but I'm not doing that. If, if I do that, gonna, I'm going to yeah. do Mac in a cloud. You're going to get the new Mac. I'm Mini. not doing that. Um, it sounds like you're going to do it. I'm no, uh, it did take me a while. Okay, the lack of a back button, like this is just purely OS problem now. The lack of a back button's weird. Like half the time, I'm like, how do I go back? Sometimes it's swipe from left. Sometimes you got to go to the top left corner, which is annoying to click. Yeah, it's just weird sometimes. Stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really I'm really enjoying it. Another weird thing, I'm not seeing work related pictures in my gallery, and that which is nice, and that helps me immensely because I'll like want to go back and like look at some pictures, and I'm like, fuck, there's all this work stuff. And it immediately, it, like, I have that thing where I, like, immediately get derailed, and then I go and do some work stuff. And it just destroys me internally <laughs> for whatever reason. Yeah. But now, I'm legitimately getting more done faster in a more calm manner, which is huge for me, <laughs> to be clear. I'm less stressed overall, and I believe I'm getting better sleep. So, the two-phone life is uh, is is the life for me, <laughs> if you will solid um but yeah i think i think that's it uh for my questions that that was really interesting i mean the the thing for me and i'll just quickly touch on it um i'm not ready to do the two phone thing yet because i don't i don't it, i guess it doesn't bother me as much that's the that's the difference for me is that i i'd rather have all my notifications come on one phone and then be have the opportunity to just mute notifications across the board uh, rather than having to deal with two devices and uh, forgetting to check one or the other and missing a notification. For me, that that's the bigger pain point is missing notifications rather than them bothering me or derailing me. Not that it hasn't happened at inopportune times. Like I've had situations where I was like on vacation, relaxing in a cottage, and I got a stupid message from a from from work. And it was just something that could have definitely waited. And it's, it's like, I mean, I'm not blaming anyone for this, but like, it's just, it's just something that happens where they just send a message with a question, an open-ended question. And then you're sat, you sit there thinking about it for eight hours. That's for sure happened. It just, it's, it's pretty rare. And I'm just not ready to commit to the two phone thing, but I think it's something I'll keep an eye on you. Um, especially once you start traveling around, once the lockdowns lift, once the COVID goes away, I'm really curious on how, that experience will be with you having like, you know, two phones in your pocket all the time, uh, two phones in your car. Like, do you remember both of them? So that I think we'll have a follow up episode about the two phones sometime in the future. So I think people should stay tuned for that. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point, too. Like right now, it's very much like a wireless, but yet tethered to the home device because I'm not going really anywhere. Um, and if I do go somewhere, I'm just running out to the store, so I'm not taking the work phone. But you're right. Like, it'll be interesting. Like, I'll probably have to get what I call. And I'm not calling anyone with these a dork, but I call them a dork holster for my work <laughs> phone. That's what I used to do for my Blackberries. Uh, the official Blackberry holster, by the way. Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, I I might have to get a holster. Or I might just have, like, I, I'm, I'm at the point where I always need a damn charger or something. 
So I might just have to start carrying a messenger bag and that might just be what I bring around. But just like when I'm going out on an extended thing, like if I'm just popping over to your place, even though you're like maybe, I don't know, 40 minutes from here, um, not even really more like 30. If you're like 30 minutes away, since I'm going like from from house from house to car to car to house again, I maybe not wouldn't bring the messenger bag and I would just have them in my pocket uncomfortably or whatever. But if I'm going to like Toronto for the week and I like might have to check the phone every now and then or whatever, depending on what my uh, schedule requires, then I might bring the messenger bag and that'll just be something that becomes a part of me. Like I might just always be the guy with the messenger bag. Who knows? Uh, we'll see. But um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting uh, for sure. And uh, it, it's it's been working out really well so far, whether it's I think the thing is, is like, you're right. Like it's, it's the, just to, just to sort of wrap up, it's the, it's the, like you're thinking about it for that eight hours, like you were saying, but for me, I'm thinking about it and trying not to think about it. So I'm creating a negative experience for myself by fighting myself being like, no, this is my time off. Stop thinking. And then my brain keeps thinking. And now I'm thinking, oh my God, I've just like made myself a negative experience. And then I'm like panicking about that. And it's just like a whirlwind of like, God knows what. So it's just whatever. Like this is just the way for me. I think this is just the way forward. This is the way it was before, and I didn't have a problem with it. And this is the way now. Uh, I definitely get the UX of the one phone life, but I prefer the two. Uh, but to uh, conclude here, remember on that Patreon. Remember we also have that before the show. Like I said, little mini audio show. Check that out. Free for everybody right now uh, on Patreon.com/slash/html. The things. If you want to support us, of course, you can also become a patron. And many thanks to our three dollar tier patrons. Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript on youtube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design on localpathcomputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Selfmade Web Designer on selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com. DL Ford from dlford.io. And uh, Bib Hashdash from Nineblock Media on, on nineblockmedia.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you're listening to this on. And we are signing off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things, signing off.